So good. Why don't I give you a passage today from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. And I'm not going to give you the part of what this is a response to. I'm just going to tell you about it so you don't have to feel like the pastor gave you the entire Bible today. I want to give you enough that you can remember it and take it with you and do something with it. This is the moment that Peter is responding to the crowd who, after he just healed a lame man, lame is another way of saying a handicap, uh, incapacitated physically, couldn't stand or walk at the, the gate they called beautiful. And the man was begging him and, and the apostles to, to heal him and or to feed him. He was begging them for, you know, a handout. And he says, stand up. Let me take care of this the right way so you can go do your thing for God. And so they healed him and the people just freaked out. I mean, it would be pretty weird, right? Can you imagine going to the Cardinals game and you see a lame man, lame man on the side of the sidewalk, you know, when you're walking down the pathway from your car to get to the game, and then you saw an apostle just walk up and touch him, and you see the man stand up to new life and be able to walk and shout and praise. Can you imagine that? It's weird. Well, in the Bible, it's cool, but in real life, that's weird. I have to say, I'd even question it because sometimes I forget that I, I, I say I trust this thing called Jesus. And then when I go to normal life again, it's back to, to me mode, you know, but, but God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants to be the, the center of our, our focus and everything we do. And so this is a response in chapter three to that moment, because they just couldn't understand even back then how Peter could heal him at the cards game. He couldn't, couldn't imagine that. Let's go to verse 11. It says, still while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we have made this man whole and walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus, and you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he even had decided to let him go. That's Pontius Pilate, who knew the truth and decided to let Jesus go. But he said, if you still want to crucify him, just let us know. And they said, yes, proceed. Verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. We were there. Remember, John was at the cross on his last breath with his mom. By faith, oh, here we go. In the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. It's not a surprise that everything we do is in the name of Jesus. That's why, because there's no power without the name. The name represents the blood. The blood represents the authority. The authority represents God's creator, creation, plan to come save man with a blemish-free, oh, lion in the lamb. You know, Jesus was a lion. See that lion in the lamb? That's why he was a perfect sacrifice. Can I get a little preachy for a minute? That's why he was a perfect sacrifice because he was not born of the seed of sin through a father, earthly father. He had to be conceived by a heavenly father to be sinless and blemish free. Otherwise, the sacrifice would have meant nothing. That's another sermon. We were talking about that last night, Mike. It's good. Verse 17. Excuse me, verse 16. Verse 17, I don't know. Let's go to 17. 
Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Even means otherwise as. It's a reaffirmation there. He was the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he has promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From among your own people, you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said it to Abraham, y'all. That's what he's saying to them. Though your offspring are all peoples on earth will be blessed if you do this. Verse 26, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. I'm going to wait to give him my subject for just a minute. I want to tell you a story. So we were talking about the baseball game. We went to the baseball game a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Goodness. Who likes baseball? St. Louis, right? It's like it's Cardinal, Cardinal Town. And I took my boys for the first time to a real ball game where they're old enough to remember something. And when we went, we got really good seats because I said, if I'm going to take them, it's probably going to be the only time for a long time because, you know, dad's really bad at making new habits of change. And so we took them. We got box seats. And we sat in the wrong section for the first four innings until someone came for their seat. And I was careful because I've been in this situation before to assume too much that I was too sure about my seats because I knew I might be wrong. So they came up, you know how people are like, oh no, this is my seat. No, I was like, I don't know if this is my seat. I was really nice about it because I really wasn't sure. And what we had done is we had been in the right seats at the beginning of the game, went to buy a nachos or whatever, came back and moved sections by accident because it's all hypnotic down there. Has anybody else had that problem? You're like, which which part of the stadium am I in? It's like a hip, hypnotist just gets you there. And so we're in the wrong seats. And the one, so we moved to the right seats and everything was good. And I was sitting next to some, some people and their legs were rubbing me for the rest of the game. And it was just great. I loved the touch of total strangers, sweaty legs touching me. I love it. it. Made me think of Jesus washing feet, which I hate feet. Anyway, <laughs> I'm kidding about the feet part. I don't like feet, but I mean, Jesus washed feet. If I got to wash a foot, I'll do it. I'm not going to say I'm going to enjoy it. What I noticed at the game, more than the players, nor, more than the score, nor, more than anything about what they were doing in the league standings, I noticed how crazy the people in the audience were. Has anybody else witnessed the crazy, faithful people? They got like crazy faith at the game. And I didn't know that everybody was an expert at baseball. I mean, all of them had been through the major leagues, it appeared, because they're hollering at the batter on what to do and why he's not doing good that day and telling him how it's going to be okay when he strikes out. 
And I'm just thinking, man, isn't it funny that this player got here, a professional level of baseball, and he needs a pat on the back from Susie Q, who looks like she just came out of Toys R Us. Like, how does, how does she know what he needs so well? Or, or John Doe, you know, he just, just, you know, better luck next time. Yeah, he's been screwing up lately. You know, like, what are you talking about? How do you know that? Are you a prophet? So me and my boys were joking. I'm like, man, I feel really dumb right now. These are all baseball experts. Or they appear, right? They appear like it. See, there's, there was this dedication almost to the level of obsession with something. And so even when they didn't know what they were saying, they knew enough to say something to sound good. You ever met a Christian like that? They know enough Bible to say, yeah, Jesus, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm, yeah, Babylon, mm-hmm, Tower of Babel, mm-hmm, what? I don't know, Starbucks, I don't know. Like they know enough buzzwords to confuse you. And you're like, whoa, they're holy. They're really holy, you know? I sensed that might be what was going on here at the game because I just thought, statistically, there's no way they could all be this good at the sport. And so what I sensed was the desire to be part of the thing. And so part of the joy was to feel like you're part of the thing, but they really didn't know the thing as well as they appeared. Y'all getting this? And so I started thinking, that sounds like church. (laughs) That sounds like church people. Guilty. It's real easy to sound holy and live in righteous, but if your life's a hot mess during the week, someone's just hollering at the baseball players. You getting this? I mean, do you want to really be on the field? Or you want to just watch it and tell them what they're doing wrong, but you've never swung a bat? You know? Or another analogy is we say, we say they throw the game plan from the sidelines, Mike, but they've never made the team to play on the field. They never get out and catch the ball. Like, like there's something we have to be honest about here is that God wants to use us on the field, but if we never want to go there, we'll never play first string for Jesus. And I just thought it was amazing the dedication that people are capable of when they really want to do something. Me and Michelle joke around, and we, we've, we've learned this over time, that, that when it walks like a duck, it acts like a duck, it quacks like a duck, usually it's a duck! Okay, quack, people look at me like, what's a duck? Anybody know what a duck is? You know, it's the juicier dark meat they say is better than chicken. I never ate duck. But what I'm saying is, like, people really can do stuff if they want to. So when they don't, they don't want to. Can I preach that? They're not ready to, and that's okay. God doesn't want to force you onto the field, but God wants you to meet your potential in your life with his purpose. And the only way he can do that is for you to actually want change, want to see a difference. He he wants you to pray about it, but then also try to take back the blessing to do something about it. So you don't have to keep praying the same thing and saying, God doesn't hear my prayers. It's that simple. And so that's kind of like what Peter was getting the crowd together about. He's saying, here you've been all this time. You you voted him into the cross, and now you're going, how did we do this? You guys just got some magic potion. He says, no, it is Jesus whom you crucified. Isn't that funny? The people were just the same back then. They just had different clothes, and there was no coffee shops that I don't know of. You think they had coffee in the first century? If not, what a horrible time to live. Hmm. I'll have to research that one. Was there Starbucks and robes? 
flip-flops. They call them flip-flops. No, they call them sandals. Yeah. <laughs> so my question today to you is, what if the dedication we possess on the baseball stands that we're capable of inside of the fact that we know we're able to do great things, that God has given us the right to choose our passion and what we're dedicated to, what if we superseded that with a love for Jesus that way? Like, almost like we were like annoying in a good way. I don't, I don't want you to be annoying to everybody you know and be like a Bible thumper or whatever they call it. But what if we were so graceful with it, we were changing lives all the time and people didn't even know it because God's so smooth. God's smooth, you know. Jesus is a gangster for a reason, because he's got swag, because he knows how to get in your heart when you think nothing's happening. And that's how we move. That's why we move as the church. We can preach it, but we got to show it, and we show it with honesty and integrity, and we don't have to shout so loud. We don't have to tell people so much if we just show it, because our behavior is much louder than our mouths. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you want to speak loudly, do it with your actions. That's what faithfulness is. And so I just thought, what if all these people in Bush Stadium were here for Jesus? OMG, in a good way. Man. But my flesh said that could never be. This is America. This is St. Louis. It's baseball. It wouldn't make sense for them all to love Jesus. And then my spirit said, but that's the mission that they do. So my flesh said, give up, kind of like Jesus in the garden. His flesh said, give up, and the spirit inside him said, no, don't give up. When you give up, you fail. When you, when you go to the cross anyway, you win. And so, so as you walk towards people and you live in doubt that God can't change them, if you try to spread the word of God anyway, God will change them anyway. Even when the world says it can't be, your flesh will tell you your touch by them, your touch towards them is worthless. And God says it's not. That's why we have the, the, the whole thought of one seed is that one little thing at a time we're planting in people and it multiplies. We are built with intention to have affection for Jesus. But giving you my subject this morning, what are the objects of your affection? What are the objects of my affection? It's okay to have affection for things. I love my baby. It would be weird if I didn't have affection for her. But affections have to come with the right intention and being the right things. And we love things. Things we love can be a hobby or it can be an obsession. Michelle's grandma is awesome, but she loves to collect Coca-Cola stuff. And you go in her house, especially her basement, by the pool table that has that 1970s smell still, Mike, I think because no one's played it since then. We're, this is kind of funny. We were in this old property yesterday, my boys, and they said, this, sound, this smells like Grandma Lou's house. I said, well, I think because they've both been set in a while. But she has Coca-Cola product everywhere, everywhere. Now, this woman, I love her to death, has really dedicated to collecting Coca-Cola paraphernalia. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's dedication. Or like, I don't know, does anybody else have like something they're really gung-ho about? Not Jesus yet, but like, like something else. And they just like, they go after it. That's fun, right? 
It's like your thing. It's like your thing. And I'm, I'm totally cool with that. And I think that's a great thing. Everybody wants a hobby. But when it becomes an obsession and it becomes, it becomes the place of where you find um, sustenance and, and, and fulfillment, and, and, and when it's gone, life has no meaning anymore, that's when it becomes unhealthy of an affection. And what these people were doing from the stands is they were so in love with, I call it the bandwagon fan. I'm I'm guilty. I can preach about it because that's what I am. I'm a fair weather fan. I don't know anything about baseball anymore. I used to when I was 10, but now I don't. So I just took them for the experience. But but we can be so consumed to be part of the experience that we can be judging it from from a seat of ignorance. We can be judging it from the seat. I know good and well that John Doe had never swung a bat before. Just trust me on that. Because, because you can just tell sometimes when people's words don't match their actions or their lifestyle. And it's the same with, with Christianity, that when, when, they, when they talk a bunch and you don't see anything, it makes you go, I don't think this God thing's real. That's like the number one judgment. And, and, and yes, they hold you to a higher standard too. Because if a Christian falls, they think, oh, they're supposed to be perfect. God is with them. Why would I serve a God? But if the everyday person fails, it's not even noticed. It's not in the news. It's just, it's just, it's just when something is for God, they elevate it, and then they fail it harder and use it as a reason to say, I'm not going to that. But that's what the devil wants to do. And so people want to see a true affection for Jesus because that's unusual nowadays. That was unusual back then. Here he's standing in front of people who walked, roamed, and crucified him, and they're still going, whoa, how'd he do that? Like Bill and Ted, excellent adventure voice. Whoa, how'd he make him stand? You know, like, like, hello, you were there. Were you sleeping? That's what he's telling them. So they started judging from a place of ignorance. And when you get into that state, a lot of things are impressive. You don't know that God could do that because you, you forget you've seen him do it before. But when you walk faithfully on a regular with God, you've seen him perform miracles. You know he will do it according to his purpose. You are no longer in shock when he does it. Y'all getting this? There's people who have never seen God do nothing, and that's okay. But once they do, God says, take that with you and remember I am. And don't be surprised every time I do something good in your life. Do you believe in me or do you not? And so that's where, the, that's where the church is at. There's some that really do believe and really take it into life. And there's some that don't, I don't really know. I'm just going because I'm not sure. And that's okay too for a season. Eventually, your season should change into the other type. That's called growth. That's why we give out Bibles. That's why we say get in your word because just worship alone is not enough. And just word alone is not enough. It's a package deal. You need it all to be able to, to, to see it all. You need it all to be able to yield to the power of God in your life. There's a yielding that happens in your walk when you felt the presence enough and you know the presence of the enemy is near you. You can yield to the Holy Spirit and defeat devils right in your presence and laugh at them. Like there's a level to that. There's levels to this. And God wants everybody to reach that with joy. We're not supposed to live in fear. We're supposed to live in joy because we have the good news. God wants an affection like that. So is your hobby an obsession or a healthy passion? You know, 
God can be toxic to your life if he becomes an obsession to everything else around you. You never thought a pastor would say that. Like, do less of God? No. I'm saying you need balance. If you, if you overstimulate your mind and your heart with too much, too long, eventually something's going to crack. That's not how God wanted you to do it. He's to lead and guide you, but you're still supposed to be a good dad. You're supposed to be a good spouse. You're still supposed to spend time with your kids. You're not supposed to live in the church building 24-7. And then you wonder why your kids hate you, or you wonder why, why your wife thinks you're cheating on them, or like all these things that happen all the time in the church. The word of God is so good, but even that can become toxic if we become so obsessed that we take it to an unhealthy place of judgment. Anybody ever met a judgmental Christian? They're just well, they're just well. This is, this is what I hear when I hear judgmental Christians. I hear Charlie Brown. I never hear English. I hear speaking in tongues. That's what I hear, like Cartman. Because that's what it is. It's grumbling in the spirit. And that hurts church. That hurts culture. And so, so we don't want to be that. We want to be a joyful church that lives with integrity, that when we leave here, we're excited about what just happened. We're renewed. We're fulfilled. We take it in and go, man, you missed it Sunday. It was so good. I went in broken, and I left feeling whole again. God is good. God is my Savior. You need a Jesus like that in your life. Here's a Bible, by the way. Is this too Bible for y'all? Okay. You know, it's... 2022 sometimes like they say they say what kind of church are you do you teach the bible uh i hope so what kind of church are you talking about you know like that's the world we're living in well do you teach the bible and all i got to do is say yes they're like okay see you sunday they don't even need convincing you just say yeah i teach the bible (laughs) i would do a little more due diligence to know what your church thinks because evidently there's some that don't bring a Bible or use one or think it's important. And um, I just thought that was kind of funny. Do you teach the Bible? Yes, ma'am, we do. Great. I was hoping you said that. Well, I prayed about it, and God said we should teach the Bible. That's good. (laughs) Oh, so funny. That's just a little pastor humor there. So those affections we have, those objects of affection... The question today, I'm reaffirming this, what are the objects of my affection? And are those affections, because we're not saying don't have them, we're saying are they in parallel with God? Are they above God? Or is God leading you to them? Interpreter, just kidding. Go Camilla. She's the loudest baby we've ever had. Dear Lord, drop of Italian goes a long way. (laughs) What happens is when it becomes above Jesus, we no longer run to Jesus first. And so God wants us to flip that to where we have all kinds of desires and passions to pursue our dreams and do great things. You're supposed to do something great. Camilla, hold up, girl. You're supposed to do something great with your life for God. Doesn't mean you got to be a pastor. Doesn't mean you got to be an evangelist with a microphone. But everything you do pursue, you're supposed to take Jesus with you in it. Because he gave that to you. He gave you the pathway to get there. He gave you the health to get there. He gave you the finances to get there. 
And so as we take him into every dream we pursue, whether it's a new business, new relationship, new, new purchase, new thing, new experience, new, new city, that's where you're going to find fulfillment because he has to be the center of our affection. He has to be the object of my affection. New business, everything I do. Larry, every house you build, I know Jesus is in there with you because I know you. You take Jesus with you everywhere you go, and that's what we're supposed to do. He's the center of my mission in everything I do. Amen? It has to be in him. It has to be in him. Watch this. This is funny. It's not funny. It's funny in hindsight. I'm going to jump to Acts chapter 17 and just read you one verse, verse 23. In Acts 3, that was Peter talking to the Israelites. In Acts chapter 17, verse 23, this is Paul talking to the Athenians who were pagan, you know, learning about Jesus. And I, I promise you, I think some of these people from the ballgame are in this passage here. He says, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God to an unknown God. I don't know about y'all, but my God has a name, Jesus, and that's it. There's no God besides you, Lord. And it says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul says, I got to tell you somebody that you've been claiming a God you don't even know the name to. Oh, I don't think they're getting this. I don't think y'all getting this. You can be in church and not know the name of your God not know the depth of what the name means. You know, Jesus is Jehovah saves. It's English for Yeshua, which is Hebrew, which is Jehovah saves, which is, which is the God, the father of creation will come to save his people. Now we know why he named him that. He even, Gabriel even told Mary, why? Because he shall save his people from their sins. Therefore, his name shall be called Jesus. So we know the name of our God. We also know the Bible says the fullness of everything God, it dwells in Christ bodily, the father in creation, fruit and redemption, that's son, offspring, the spirit in regeneration, that's God in action. It's all one spirit of God. It is God in moving, God doing, and God redeeming. And that's why he has a name, so we can identify that. Unlike the Athenians who just put, I don't know, some God that's cool to an unknown God. I like proper nouns with God. You getting this? We put a proper noun on who we serve. They didn't even know that. See, they were ignorant. They didn't even know that. They didn't even know who God was. They just said, you know, I, I kind of like this worship thing, and this is good. You got to start somewhere, but don't live here. They said, I kind of like this worship thing, Paul. Like, this is cool. Like, I don't know, but, but, you know, I had a God last year. He did me wrong. I don't know his name. But to an unknown God, here's an altar just to show reverence. Just, just modify how it looks visually to a baseball game. Are y'all connecting this? There's no difference today. Because when it gets to a level of our faithfulness, it becomes that altar we made for them. It becomes almost like an idol. And this is not the preacher saying, don't, don't have TV, don't have radio, don't do anything fun with your life, leave here, enjoy, it's so happy, and everybody's miserable. No, we don't want that. We really want to be in joy. Because we're supposed to live in joy. And if we're always depressed, then something's wrong. But we have to learn to discern in our walk where the object of my affection stays and lives so I make the right decisions with everything that comes my way. Or you will be tempted and you will be tested and you could make the wrong decision. It's got to be in him. 
God loves us so much, he will bless our ignorance. Isn't that good? I don't know about you, but when I fell to sin, I was pretty ignorant. Anybody else like me? When they fell to sin, they didn't even know what they're doing. Is it okay we say dumb? Was anybody else dumb like me when they fell to sin? Nobody's dumb in here? Come on, somebody be dumb with me. Can I get one hand of somebody dumb? Thank you, dumb people. <laughs> That's a sign of wisdom because you're reverent to a God who you gotta have to grow. And until we realize we are always blind without our shepherd, we will never grow. So you can clap for that. You can clap for the people who were bold to, to say, I, I'm that way. And I know y'all wanted to. It takes a few to raise the rest. That's okay. But, but we, we have to be that way. We have to stay fragile for Jesus to always stay first. But we can live in joy. We can be bold as a lion through the lamb. Amen. If it goes above Christ, it takes the place of him. My God, how would we respond if Jesus walked on that baseball field? That sounds great, but I mean, that's not realistic. Right. So what if he did? Anybody see Field of Dreams? Kevin Costner? If you build it, <laughs> he will come. You build God's house, he will come. You go into a dead nation, raise the roof with the word of God, he will come. He will come. What if Jesus walked on the field? You can come to Christ blind and he will make you see like the beggar who was lame. He can heal crippled ankles. When you wanted a donut, he said, I'm going to give you a healing. He said, God, give me some cash money and a donut. God, Peter said, I'm going to heal you instead so you can go get a job and buy yourself some donuts. Isn't God good like that? He's a provider. See, he don't want to do everything for you. He wants to provide for you so you can go do something for him. Isn't that good? That's why we say you step, I step. It's an active faith. Living for Jesus is an active lifestyle. And filling my day with substitute for him will lead to emptiness. What are the objects of my affection? I'm getting towards the end of my notes here, and I want to, I want to tell you a couple things. When we were at that game, there was this woman with her. Well, she wasn't, she, I won't go there. She had her little kid with her. And I'm like, really? You're a mom? I'm like, really? And, and she was trying so hard to get pictures. We were right by the dugout. And she was trying so hard to get pictures with the players. So this was actually pretty clever. Since we've been born into the selfie world, she was taking her camera like this, and as the players were near, she'd holler their names, and as soon as they go like this, she'd selfie pictures <laughs> with the players. I thought, that's pretty funny, but it's a little weird. She was climbing, Larry, on the dugout. At one point, she's laying on the dugout. And can I just say she wasn't dressed the most modest? It was a weird experience, and I tried to tell my little boy, hey, turn that way. This, this looks a little weird. And I, I never forget, hey, Pujols. He's like, huh? She's like, oh, ching, 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 you know, flashing a picture. And she's like, woohoo, I got one. She goes back to her seat. And the little boy's like, yeah, I got one. My mom just, you know, whatever, sold her soul to get a picture of Pujols or whatever. 
And, and, and I was so sad because here's a woman putting all her dedication into this thing. And I just thought, and I don't know, maybe she was a very devout Christian serving the Lord every day of the week. And I just thought, what if her faith in Christ looked like that? That she's willing to climb up the thing and risk security tackling her. Yeah, they'll, they'll tackle a woman if they've got to. To get a picture with Jesus on the field, just to touch his garment. You remember the 12-year-old? If I can just touch him, he'll make me whole. How did you know? She said, I just know that if I just touch you, that's all I need. I don't need anything else. And she was restored from her issue. You know, like that happened all the time. What if we saw that and it wasn't about something so material, but about something so spiritual in a practical setting like a ball game? That would just change lives. So good. Jesus desires that. That kind of faith. That kind of dedication. The Bible says he's a rewarder of those who pursue him at ease. No, it doesn't. He's a rewarder of those who diligently pursue him and seek him. That means I got to have Christ first. I got to figure it out. I don't know nothing. I don't care. God, I need you. Show me the way. That was the eunuch when Philip crossed him and baptized him on the way to Jerusalem. That's what he said. I said, I don't know this. Somebody show me because I want to know it. You don't have to know everything for God to touch you. You got to have a hungry heart and seek him diligently. Jesus desires that. He desires my faith be like that. Yes. What if our faith shouted amidst a dead nation and we saw like the elevation song, the dead will rise again. Oh, I love that line. You are called to be the light to reach the lost. God says, you may not fully understand me, but I will reveal it to you. What are the objects, though, of your affection today? What's first? I'd say who's first? I don't know about you, but a lot of things take the place of my Lord sometimes in my life. So what is first? What is the object of your affection? And I challenge you to rearrange that list to where Jesus is always the number one. You know, I want to I show you something here in a minute. Y'all can stand with me as we close here. Can we shout for Jesus like they were shouting for the ballplayer's photo? Is that church still alive today? Are God's people still in the house? that we can shout for Jesus like that and raise dry bones to life, that we can touch the community outside these walls and bring them in because they know there's still something special. So I want to challenge you now, what would it be like if Jesus walked through those doors right now? What would it be like? What if Jesus walked in the room? Would you be chill or would you be, be, be chilled would you be chilled out or would you be chilled by the presence of God with goosebumps if Jesus walked through the room? Let's watch this video. If I had pleasure out Christ, this is just how I would do it. It ain't got to be the way you do it. You might not think it's just right, but this is how I would do it. Ladies and gentlemen, 
It is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. His credits are too long to list. He has done the impossible time after time. He hailed out of a manger in Bethlehem, Jerusalem, by way of heaven. His mother is still headlining in the Catholic Church today. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry. He fed 5,000 hungry souls with two fish, five loaves of bread. He can walk on water, turn water into wine. No special effects, no camera tricks. He has a headshot on every church fan across the country. Even before the kings of comedy, he was hailed the king of all kings, ruler of the universe, alpha and omega, beginning and the end, the bright and the morning star. Some say he's the rose of Sharon, and some say he's the Prince of Peace. Get up on your feet. Put your hands together and show your love for the second coming of the one and only. God has been good.